Hey everyone, Ben here with a quick interruption before we get into today's episode to let you know that we have been nominated for a Sports Podcast Award. Yippee! That is very, very exciting. We are actually incredibly honoured and excited to have that nominee. And you, the listener, yes, the very person that is listening to this right now can help us win a Sports Podcast Award and get us on the podium for once rather than always being off the podium. To do so, head to sportspodcastawards.com. Dot com register to vote click on the best olympic and paralympic podcast category where you can then vote for us to win now you will have to listen to the other nominees as well but let's be honest you know you're going to vote for us because you're listening to our show today which means we know you like us and we'd very much appreciate the vote in advance sportspodcastawards.com that's how you do it and we thank you in advance and everybody who votes for us we promise to thank you in our acceptance speech should we win. Right now, I'm going to shut up, play some music, and then you're going to hear me talk again as we get into today's episode of Off the Podium. Enjoy. They're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Orville and Christopher Dean. Alex Philodome. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got to be Yes! Sally Stegel, 132.67, has won at least the medal. She's 0.24 up. Beauty! On the ice with a Gimlet. A Gimlet scoping! It is off the podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you once again for an athlete interview episode in the lead up to Beijing. We are ski jumping once more with American ski jumper Paige Jones. A great chat today as we learn about how being born in an Olympic city in an Olympic year can actually basically breed you into becoming a future Olympian. This is a fascinating story about uh, being born within the vicinity of uh, Salt Lake City and uh, sort of in the Park City area in Utah in 2002 and trying out a whole bunch of other different winter sports, selecting ski jumping and why that sport is the one that stuck. Also another summer sport that uh, she could have maybe pursued a Olympic career in as well and how that helped her when it came to ski jumping and just a lot of other great stuff here, experiences at the 2020 Youth Olympics, being named as the American Ski Jumper of the Year and also a pretty significant injury that happened in 2021 and just how at the time of recording this that was uh, affecting her chances of qualifying for the Beijing Olympics. So uh, great chat here. You're going to learn a lot from Paige and you're going to learn a lot from her right now because here is our chat with US ski jumper Paige Jones. Another exciting interview to bring you today on Off the Podium as we get so close to the Beijing Olympics. We can sniff it and we are continuing chatting to people from the great sport of ski jumping. And we are speaking to an American athlete who competed at the Youth Olympics in 2020. Is on the cusp of making her senior Olympic debut in Beijing. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show Paige Jones. Paige, first of all, welcome to Off the Podium. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you. I'm very, I'm very excited to learn about your journey and, and everything that's happening because we always learn about why people get involved in their respective sports, what took you on that journey. But for you, you basically, I feel, were born in the right place at the right time for your sport. You were born basically in an Olympic city in an Olympic year. Right, Salt Lake City, two thousand and two. Yep. <laughs> I mean, you can't write this, right? Like you, everyone who was born in Salt Lake in two thousand and two had to become a Winter Olympian, surely. Right. <laughs> Which, like some people that, believe in astrology. If you're born in Utah yeah. in two thousand and two, just makes sense, right? <laughs> it, it, it works that way. So, is that kind of what what led you? Like you growing up in in Salt Lake was sort of it it was there it kind of the city was obviously no doubt booming still after hosting an Olympic Games and is that kind of what drew you to winter sports and, and ski jumping 
Yeah. So um, I actually live in Park City and not Salt Lake City. Um, so Park City is where the ski jumps are, where the bobsled track is, and where they hosted all the, um, I think, ski racing and like freestyle stuff. Um, so, I mean, Park City is pretty much a, as much of a mountain town as you can get. Um, so I've been skiing since I was three, and um, there's a lot of programs within the elementary schools to get kids involved in winter sports. Um, so I did this one called Getting Out, Get Out and Play, and you sign up and you do it like for a certain amount of Fridays in the winter. And I did the program up, up at the UOP, which is the Utah Olympic Park, um, where you just try out all the sports they have up there. So I did um, ski racing, cross country ski jumping and um, freestyle. And um, so I did that for one year. I wasn't a super huge fan of ski racing and didn't like freestyle because I kept on falling on rails and stuff. Um, so the next year I signed up for ski jumping with my sister and um, you get pretty addicted to the sport pretty fast. There's like little achievements enough, like when you're younger, like you move up from five meter jump to the 10 meter jump to the 20 meter jump and it's kind of gets you really hooked that way it's kind of that progression kind of as you go further and, and further and as i'm learning a lot through a lot of our ski jumping guests on the show it, it is a sport where i think you start younger than i ever imagined you would kind of going over those jumps and progressing so is that sort of when you're going up the distances that as you're sort of getting older that you're going, okay, I'm so close to that, that 90 meters. I, I'm so close. And then when you get at the top of that, and that first time you're about to jump on the 90 meters, it's a, it's a mixture of shit. This is a lot bigger than I thought it was versus, okay, I'm finally here. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I feel like we all talk about like, which jump up is the biggest. I think the jump from the 40 meter up to the 60 meter is the biggest. Um, so moving from the 60 to the 90 didn't feel like that much, but it's definitely exciting. Like you're finally on an Olympic sized hill and let's see, I think I jumped the 90 for the first time at 12 or wow. maybe I was barely 13 and I started jumping at nine. So, wow, that's, that's crazy. And then ultimately then do you jump on the 120 at one point? And then is that sort of yep. the progression? Like, or do you, cause you're at the 90, it's like, okay, well, I'm at the 90 now. I can already get to the 120. Or is there still a moment where you've got to progress to go to the 120? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I jumped that like about a year later, but it's not as much as a progression between the 90 and the 120 than I feel like other hills are. In terms of sort of other sports, I mean, you're mentioning obviously those winter-based sports that you gave a try, but were there other sports that you were trying sort of growing up that maybe you were looking at pursuing and eventually ski jumping was the one that kind of took over as the one you focused on? Yeah, um, I actually did gymnastics for a while and ended up quitting gymnastics to do ski jumping. Wow. Okay. Which is but, it's interesting, actually, because we, we get a lot of, uh, when we talk to our freestyle skiers and sort of our aerialists, I mean, a big thing in Australia is, uh, you know, they steal all the gymnasts, make them good aerial skiers. That's why we, I always feel sorry for the gymnasts because I'm like, we never have success in gymnastics because you steal all our bloody good gymnasts and put them into freestyle skiing. But does, does that gymnastics background help in ski jumping? Obviously you're not doing tricks like you do in aerials, but I guess kind of the, the flexibility and kind of, I guess, kind of some of the techniques I can imagine you somewhat use in gymnastics. Yeah, I feel like the flexibility, yeah, but like, I mean, I quit gymnastics at nine, so I don't think much flexibility was happening. Like, I was already flexible because um, I was nine. But um, the one thing I think gymnastics helped with was body awareness because with ski jumping, like, tiny little movements make a big deal and you spend half the time in the air. Um, so, like, just knowing where your body is can help a lot, and I think gymnastics did help me with that. In terms of Olympic aspirations, were you looking at these different winter sports as a potential goal to becoming an Olympian? And obviously, again, sort of being born in an, you know, an Olympic city, kind of probably you're a lot more aware of it. But, I mean, was gymnastics something that you were thinking at some point, like, hey, I could go to the Olympics in gymnastics maybe? Not really. <laughs> I think um, Olympics didn't really become like a goal of mine until probably high school. Cause up until then sports for me was just for fun. Not really for, um, yeah, more just for fun than more like competition. So I think 
definitely not at nine and probably not until I was 14 was I really looking at the Olympics. I mean, does that sort of come about when you mentioned that competition side of things that when you are getting to an age where you are becoming more competitive or, or maybe you're realizing that, hey, I'm doing okay at this ski jumping thing. This could be something that I that I could achieve. Yeah, um, I feel like it became a really concrete goal after competing in Olympic. Well, I didn't actually compete in Olympic trials last time, um, but for jumping for Olympic trials in 2018, that's kind of when I like made the goal, like next four years I'm training and I'm training for the Olympics. That being was in that, 15 at the time. I was going to say being in that environment though, where you're kind of around those people who are progressing, like, does that help you? Does that in terms of being around those athletes who are, are pushing towards an Olympics and are there to kind of add to that aspiration that you're just mentioning that, but also learning from these athletes who are going to be competing at the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, I grew up in Park City, and I don't know how much you know about the kind of women's ski jumping, um, but there was a real drive for women's ski jumping to be added to the Olympics, um, and a, the women's team from the U.S. kind of drove that, and so a lot of that team was made up from athletes from Park City that I interacted with um, quite a lot, so I think growing up and watching them, one, fight for that um, to be included in the Olympics and then to watch them attend the Olympics was really great. Cause it's a, that's a unique thing about women's ski jumping at the Olympics. It's still so new, which is such a weird thing mm-hmm. to talk about, isn't it? That coming into Beijing, it's only the third time it's ever been held at the Olympics where, you know, we talk so much about bringing those equal playing fields for both genders at the Olympics in sport. And some has obviously done a, a great deal of that, but we've talked about recently how some of the winter sports seem to be falling behind a little bit with that, but they're, they're catching there. But yeah, the, the inclusion of women's ski jumping in Sochi in 2014, obviously was a massive boost for, for female ski jumping, wasn't it? Yeah, it definitely was. And I feel like it got us more visibility as a sport. And I feel like, Obviously, we we were included in the Olympics in 2014, but there's still a lot of like inequality even within the sport outside of the Olympics as well. But um, I feel like getting added to the Olympics was a huge step. Which I have to ask. I think we've talked a little bit about this before, but I look at the men's competition. You've got your normal and you've got your large hill. I know at the World Cups, you're competing in the, the normal and the large hill. We're about to see the mixed event in Beijing why the bloody hell are we not having a large and a normal hill for the women or a women's team event? Like what's going on there, IOC? Like surely if you want to spread it out equally, we should be doing this. Yeah, I mean, uh, the large hill event actually just got added to world championships. So I was the first woman woman to jump a large hill in world championship events um, last winter. Wow! So it just got added to that. And I I feel like... Now that it's been added to world championships, we will be able to see it in probably 2026. But like, it's definitely, you can still see the inequality even within the Olympics. So what's that like having that sort of history making moment that you are the first ever female ski jumper to compete in a large hill event at a world championships. I mean, that's something that nobody can ever take away from you. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty great. Um, it was also my first world championship. So like overall, wow. I was just kind of super pumped to be there. Um, but yeah, I remember I like barely qualified for that event. And, um, since I was so early in the qualifying round, I ended up being assigned BIM number one for the actual competition. And my coach comes in, he's like, Paige, you're number one. You're the first one to go. I was like, yeah. <laughs> great. Fantastic. Which, and it's like, mm-hmm. In terms of the differences between going down a, a 90 and 120, I mean, is it something to the speed's greater, like the adrenaline kicks in a little bit more too? Like, is it kind of a, a different feeling that you would get by being on the normal hill? Um, I don't think there's a difference in adrenaline, really. I think once you do it enough times, it just like kind of feels like, you know, um, but it is faster and there's a lot more force going into it. So you go into... Um, the curve of the in run and you can feel it compress you more. And then in the air, your skis are going to hit you harder and there's going to be more force against you in the air. I, I love learning so much from some of the guests we've had on recently about the real mental aspect of ski jumping. I think we had it explained that it's pretty much 80% mental, 20% 
physical, which to, to me is, is an incredible sort of discrepancy when it comes to that. But when it comes to your mental preparation for an event, sort of do you have anything that you do yourself that maybe other ski jumpers don't or is it kind of a case, is there a go-to mental preparation method which generally works for most ski jumpers? Um, so what I've been doing is I listen to music at competitions, but only with one earbud in because um, I like to hear the announcements. Um, so that kind of helps. And then while I'm actually like getting ready to jump and stuff, if I have any like time where I'm just sitting there. So instead of being anxious, um, I recite written poetry in my head. Wow. Which like, yeah, I've tried like singing in my head, but it didn't like take my focus off of being anxious enough. So now I, now I recite poetry in my head. <laughs> wow. So is this poetry that you've written yourself or do you have like a favorite poet that you kind of go to? No, I kind of, I have one really long one memorized. And so I just kind of pick up pieces from that when I need to like, just focus and stuff. It's um, Jellyfish by Sarah Kay. Okay. Wow. Can you give us yeah. a taste? Am I putting you on the spot if I ask you for a bit of Jellyfish <laughs> by, you know, I, I don't, I can't um, say I've ever heard of it before. Uh, yes. I also haven't competed in a while, so I'm going to have to remember it. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> It was somewhere between the first day of school and the last, somewhere between morning and nightfall, somewhere between New York City and the very tip of Long Island. There was a nine-year-old girl standing somewhere between the shoreline and the sand dunes, scanning the horizon like a hawk, like an Amazon warrior, like Charlemagne the morning before he took on his last enemy, jellyfish. There were jellyfish on my beach and in my ocean, and that silhouette of a soldier, that was me. I was the nine-year-old protector. I was the Amazon warrior. I was the conqueror of the venomous i was the no sorry i was the vanquisher of the venomous i was the conqueror of the jellyfish and i was armed with my bucket and my legs which were strong enough to hold against the pole of the sinking tide and wait for one of those red and purple translucent throbbing bubbles of death to float unexpectedly into the claws of my plastic trap and then to dart onto the shore <clears throat> to toss my captives mercilessly into the sand pit i had dug never stopping for breath except for a juice box under the shade of a green and white umbrella that's kind of all I can remember off the top. Wow, of me, that's I, I've got to give you yeah. a clap for that. That's brilliant. That, oh, thank I, you. I've <laughs> never like that's insane. Like and that that like the the focus that you have just to remember that. I mean, I could see it in your face there, kind of doing that. But like that that's got to help a big time, kind of in a sport like ski jumping to really like yeah. you, you're so focused. Yeah, because what I found is like um, with ski jumping under competition environment, if you're like thinking a lot about your ski jumping, you're likely to overanalyze things and mess stuff up. So if I can take my focus completely off of the competition until I'm actually like putting my skis on to go, I find that helps. So have you actually then considered a, a career post ski jumping in slam poetry? Because I can kind of see that there, there might be something <laughs> going <quite>. on there. <laughs> that should be an Olympic sport. We're actually break dancing in Paris. Where's slam poetry? Come on. <laughs> That's got to be Wait long enough, it might be added. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you never know that. But it, it's fascinating that real mental aspect of the sport because I sort of love watching you when you're at the top of the run and it's kind of that you can just see it in a competitor's eyes and just everything that's going through that mind. And is that a case of you've done all that prep, you're at the top, you're about to go, you're waiting for the coach to give you the signal that that's everything then that it's it's the opposite you kind of got to calm everything down to a point where you clear your head i mean sort of what's going through that mind at the top of the run mm -hmm. while you're about to go down to jump well at least for me like by the time you get to competition you're not fixing anything you just need to do kind of what you've been practicing and so at that point you know what you need to do and it's mostly muscle memory and with the added like adrenaline and pressure of competition i find that like just having a clear head and you do what you need to do. Do you sort of being born in an Olympic year, sort of, do, do you go back and watch some of the tapes of, of Salt Lake? I mean, I remember, was it Simone Amman doing so well at those Olympics? We got a lot of coverage here in Australia of him, a sport that gets no coverage in Australia, ski jumping, but they, I think they touted him as Swiss's flying Harry Potter or it was something, it was something very weird that they kind of marked around him. But do you kind of like to go back and look at those things that this is a year you were born sort of, you know, within the vicinity of everything along those lines? Um, I don't think I've actually watched any competition footage from 2002 other than um, Alan Alborn. Um, he's the jumper from the US who jumped that year. I've watched his jumps, but I mean, other than that, not really. 
It's I I see I'll I'll age myself here too, Paige, by saying that I remember having the video game. I think it was on PS2 back then, and ski jumping was always one of the ones that I loved. I remember I had the, the Nagano '98 one on Nintendo 64. I'm really showing my age, but like the ski jumping events on those games were always the ones that I loved, and it's just it's fascinating coming from a country where we've never had an Olympic skier and ski jumper. No one knows it outside of the Olympics already the Eagle. So it's just, it's fun to kind of be exposed to it in, in, in weird ways like that. Yeah. It's really funny. So I have a TikTok account and I've had some ski jumping videos kind of like get a lot of traction. And um, a lot of the times what people will comment is I haven't thought about this sport since I played it on the Wii. (laughs) (laughs) So like, it's definitely like, it's either, if they don't know ski jumping right off the bat, it's either Eddie the Eagle or that one game from Wii Sports that kind of like gets it to click. <laughs> which which I, I think I need to start advertising myself as like a multiple Olympic gold medalist because I don't know how many golds I won on, on the PlayStation. I probably won like 30 gold medals, you know? So, I mean, yeah. I should put that on my Instagram bio, like 80-time Olympic gold medalist on Salt Lake 2002 on PS2. Yes. <laughs> Just dig it out, kind of, you know, add that to some, some profiles of that. You went to the Youth Olympics, as I mentioned in the intro, in, in 2020. What was that experience like? Because I always love hearing about the Youth Olympics. I'm a fan. I think these are a great event to really give, uh, you know, young athletes a, a taste of multi-sport events and also an Olympic experience. But, I mean, how, how did you find sort of 2020? Um, I mean, I think it's probably one of the competitions I've been to um like the athlete housing they had to stay in was super cool it was like this one big circle and um I mean like getting to meet a bunch of athletes from different sports from different countries was super cool like I still keep in contact with a lot of them um I ended up making friends with a lot of curlers which was actually pretty funny because right. uh, Um, I mean, like the actual competition part of it, um, at that point I was still relatively new to international competitions and that kind of flow of things. So, um, it was definitely good to get over there and to be under like that sort of pressure of a competition and just kind of feel it out and see where all these kids who are my age are at. Because the unique thing about the youth Olympics that I feel like we don't see a lot more in other ski jumping competitions is that we were all really close in age. Um, because like, look at the world cup, like our oldest person I think is over 30 and the youngest is probably like 17 or 18. So like just being able to go there and compete against people who are under 18 and most of them, I think were older than 15 was really cool just to see kind of where exactly I ranked against the people who are my age. I love that you're saying you made friends with the curlers. Uh, that they're, they're good people to make friends with. But it's, it's also that unique environment. I mean, we talk to a lot of our summer athletes and, you know, if, you, if you're in track and field, if you're a swimmer, you're going to a, a Pan Ams, a, a Commonwealth Games, you know, multi-sport events constantly where you're bumping shoulders with these people and getting that taste for it. But winter sports is obviously a little bit different. You don't really have a lot of these massive multi-sport events right so you know while you're probably bumping shoulders a lot with nordic combined athletes uh you you know kind of in that aspect it's sort of you're never going to see a curler kind of at the the world ski jumping championships are you no it's pretty funny actually so i have friends um in both who do both luge and bobsled and in the u.s there's only two tracks right and i live in the city at one of them and i still haven't met either one of them in person wow because like every time they're in the in Park City, I'm in Europe, or like every time I'm in Lake Placid, um, they're not there, and it's just so funny how like we haven't managed to overlap. It's so interesting, kind of with that. Like I, I love all, that, but yeah, so that was super cool. Yeah, I, I love that kind of aspect with so many of the winter sports. Again, like it's unique facilities, like you mentioned, only two tracks in. I think there's only about. I think we have a few of our bobsledders on, they've mentioned that there's like 17 tracks in the world or something like that. Like it's very sort of unique, but even with ski jumping, like you don't obviously, you know, you don't go to every single suburb of every single city and there's a ski jumping ramp, right? You've only got a, a limited amount there in the U S as well. So it's kind of, again, those, those unique aspects of, of being able to do your sport, which you don't just go down to your local park on a Saturday and, and do. Yeah, I will say there's probably more jumps in the U.S. or just around in general than you're thinking of. But because um, they there's a lot of random ones that popped up 
um, over on the like Midwest and East Coast. Um, but we only have obviously two Olympic facilities and I think only three big hills. Which uh, Casey Larson told us a little bit about that. But I, I learned that Anchorage has one as well, which I mean, yeah. I've been to Anchorage. I love Anchorage. I love Alaska. So, I mean, any excuse to be able to go to, to Alaska, right? That must be a unique experience to go up there to, to jump. Yeah, um, I went there for junior nationals. Um, I can't remember what year. I remember I got second and then I caught the flu and pneumonia at the same time and felt like I was dying. <laughs> wow. Okay, so not the greatest memories of Anchorage then maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember much after competing actually because I had to start getting on some pretty heavy drugs. So, <laughs> Which just is that during, I mean, this probably sounds like a dumb question, but bear with me. Is that during winter or summer because like I, I was there in summer when like there's no such thing as darkness whereas obviously for the winter it's what basically the opposite right so i mean are you there in constant daylight or constant darkness um so we were there in the winter but you can actually jump there in the summer as well right of course yeah yeah which because i'm learning this i love this aspect of the summer ski jumping thing which is something that i didn't even yeah. realize until till recently do you do you have a preference i mean i mean we're going to talk about it. you lived in australia so i don't know if you're more of a fan of the sun so like let's do the summer stuff or get rid of all that snow um i mean i like both for different different parts um i think summer is more consistent um like conditions wise um because in the summer you know the track is made out of porcelain it's not changing and a lot of the times it's like same temperature there's barely any wind where in winter you see especially like here you see more storms you see more wind and you have to um like think about ice conditions and stuff like that um so that's i like the summer more for that but i think overall the winter is more fun um obviously ski jumping initially is a winter sport uh the air is thicker which is nice and you know the tracks are faster and um we compete a lot more in the winter so which I'm just seeing this as as an addition potentially 2032 in Brisbane. Now, we're technically a winter Olympics because we're holding the Olympics in July. That's winter in Australia. But given oh. that you can <laughs> compete in summer, this could be an excuse to finally build a ski jumping facility in Australia. So uh, we could bring in the summer ski jump to the summer Olympics and have it sort of on both sides of things. We could We could work on that over the next decade or so. Yeah, I mean, if you can find a hill and then you dig <laughs> under the hill and then you build the in-run up on scaffolding, you could totally do it. Do it, yeah. <laughs> There's a few hills. In, I'm thinking Tambourine Mountain out somewhere uh, in Queensland there. There's a few. Like, I'm from Tasmania. We're a very hilly hilly state. So, hey, bugger the mainland. Yeah. Let's, let's bring it here. Let's bring ski jumping to Tasmania. There you go. There you go. <laughs> it works. It works perfectly. Yeah, I, well, just... I mean, you guys managed to have winter athletes athletes to every olympics there's no reason you can't exactly we just somewhere, right? crack the <laughs> crack the glass ceiling of ski jumping in this country we've had a nordic combined athlete why not a ski jumper we're, we're double the, the you know doing double the work for nordic combined we don't have to you know produce half of that to get a ski jumper come on australia <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> or, or like again you you could always come back to australia change allegiances and you could be the first australian ski jumper yeah perfect i mean my aunt is a citizen there I can't, like, I could probably get citizenship. <laughs> that works. We've done it before. Dale Begg-Smith, our greatest male mogul skier, is a Canadian. He won us a gold and a silver. So, I mean, you know, it works for us that way. So we're not opposed to, <laughs> to taking some North Americans and making them change allegiances. Why not? <laughs> works perfectly. Which, just yeah. in terms of your progression right now, where you're at sort of in the lead up to Beijing now, you, you were just named uh, the US Ski Jump Athlete of, of the Year. Congratulations for that. But sort of mixed with Thank that, you. I believe you had a bit of an injury earlier on in the year. So where are you at right now in terms of progressing to a potential spot at the Beijing Olympics? Um, so I have been cleared to jump for about a month now. Um, I track it. I've, been take, I've taken 83 jumps um, post-surgery. And so, um, there's definitely been challenges. Um, I had my ankle basically surgically fixated for about four months. So there's a lot of mobility issues with that. And, um, flexibility is very important in ski jumping, especially ankle flexibility. So working through that, um, has been a bit rough and then, um, just kind of trying to figure out how much I can train. Um, cause I definitely got cleared for sport 
tried to train as hard as I did before and ended up having to take like a week off because I irritated the, um, the hardware that's still on my ankle and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's definitely hard to come out of a really good winter season um, where I definitely felt like I was going to have a shot at the Olympics and then trying to come back from underneath taking six months off of ski jumping and stuff like that. But I'm still like, I'm not counting myself out quite yet, but I'm definitely like trying to focus more on um, more short-term things like getting a hundred jumps under my belt and stuff like that. So tell us what happened in terms of, of how you got injured. Cause from what I could see, it sounded like a pretty nasty crash. Yeah. Um, so I crashed at junior nationals actually. Um, we went just cause we were home for uh, long enough between world championships and bluebird tournament, which is in Russia. So we went to junior nationals, which was in Colorado <clears throat> and um, I took one jump of training. It's a bit rough. I like, but going from a big hill, which is what I went from in world championships to a 60 meter. So half the size, um, is always a bit rough. So I took one training jump was like, Oh, and then, um, my trial jump for the comp. No, was it my trial jump? I don't remember. I think maybe it was first competition round or trial. I can't remember, but anyways, so I went up, jump full gassed it. Um, so basically I, in the air, I was too aggressive. So instead of being, having enough air under me, I didn't have quite enough. Fell forward um, after landing, at, I think it's 73 meters, which um, I think is two meters short of hill size. So that's pretty far. Um, so I fell forward, caught my knee under me. And since my ski didn't pop off, it just kind of snapped my ankle. Um, so I had a spiral fib fibula fracture. I tore my deltoid ligament and then I also disrupted my syndesmosis joint. Wow. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that's crazy. I mean, and do you know sort of in flight that something is going away here or is it until you actually land that you go, shit, this isn't going to be good? Yeah. I mean... I was more just like, I knew I was going to go far and I was kind of excited about it. It was like, oh yeah, I'm going far, which is kind of why I gassed it and was too far forward on my skis. Um, but definitely like as soon as I went down, like you don't crash very often in ski jumping, but like usually it's pretty okay. You know, you're fine. But when I went down, I could tell it was weird. And then um, I slid out kind of in the splits and I was just laying there and I just couldn't get up. And I was like, something is really wrong. Wow. I thought Which... I just sprained my ankle actually until they took my boot off and I could see my like, um, fibula kind of poking out. It wasn't oh, like through the skin or anything, but so, like I could okay. see wow. that it was wrong. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That does, that shouldn't be there. Right. That, that no. <laughs> that's not looking normal, uh, on that yeah. side of things. So on the, that, you mentioned the 83 jumps. What's that first jump like when you are able to get up there? Because I can imagine back to the mental aspect, there's got to be a part of you that's going, okay, the last time I did this didn't go too well. How is this going to go this time around? I've actually been pretty lucky so far with like the mental part of coming back from injury. I'm not like scared, which is good. Nice. Like I've also, I mean, I've been taking pretty low speed and, um, just kind of putting a lot of trust in my coaches. I will make sure I'm not putting a, myself in a situation where I'm going really far myself. Um, but that first jump was really weird. Um, <laughs> my balance point is completely different now because of um, just ankle mobility reasons. So that was weird. And then my coach wanted me to jump without jets in my boots. So we have these things called jets and they're basically like wedges that we put in the back of our boots. And so they wanted me to jump without those. And I've been using jets for like probably two and a half years. So I think that was honestly the weirdest part of it, but it was super great just kind of to get back on the hill. And I was definitely more excited than scared at that point. And I can imagine during that, during that recovery, is there sort of a, a drive mentally sort of through all the physical pain and sort of the, you know, you know the, the therapy that you're going with that, but that goal, that Olympic goal, is that kind of what pushes you through there? That even if it's maybe not going to be for Beijing, that it still can be something and really push you towards getting recovered and back up there on the hill? Yeah, I think definitely like 
feeling pressed for time definitely pushed me um, during more the later parts of physical therapy, just to kind of push as hard as I could because I wanted to get back on the hill. My goal was to get back on the hill by August 30th, and I got back on the hill September 3rd. So right, it's definitely right part of the yeah. drive is that Olympic um, deadline. I don't know if that's deadline. Right word, that's a de- it's a deadline. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind <laughs> of it, it, it happens that way. Which so how does that work then? So I believe there's a lot of quota based sort of aspects there. So in order to, for the US to qualify a, a jump or two, they've got to be certain qualification standards met, and then does that then work on us nordic will choose you basically on how you're performing or kind of like how does that whole selection process work so um we'll hold olympic trials on christmas day and um whoever wins um olympic trials is guaranteed a spot if we have a spot and then um after that i think it's coach's discretion wow okay and then does that then also work for the for the mixed team that say for example team us qualifies two and you've got two men there's a quota available or does that is that a different aspect how the team one works i'm going to be completely honest i don't know how the mixed team is working for beijing um yeah for like for how it worked with world champs the mixed team isn't decided before you go it's once you're there based on training but i mean i've never been to an olympics i don't know if that's how it works but yeah <laughs> do, you, do you enjoy the sort of the team aspect of it too because like i mean in such a sport where it's kind of very individual like to have a team element to it must be sort of a, a new exciting thing that you can kind of experience i mean i i personally i like i love my team um i think there's like eight of us we're all really close um i think even though we compete against each other most of the time we get along we're kind of rooting for each other like I'll get done with my jump. Maybe I had not so, such a good jump, but I'll turn around once my teammates going and watch them to make sure they have a good jump. So I really feel like our team dynamics are great. And I love like, you know, I live with my team for a good portion of the year and I travel with them and I see them every day. So. And is, is it a case of you get them into poetry as well? Or is that like, no, that's my little thing. You can't have my poetry. That's my mental preparation. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anyone on my team knows about that. So, like, surprise if they're listening to this. That's what I'm <laughs> That's doing. why she's so good. Um, That's why she's the uh, ski jumper of the year. Ah, <laughs> uh, but um, no, I mean, like, I feel like a lot of us, especially with mental stuff, um, if we do talk to our teammates about it, a lot of us have to, like, we'll say, like, this is what I've tried or this is what I do. But we also have a team um, sports psychologist. So, like, I think a lot of the same ideas get cycled around. <laughs> and I can imagine, though, that, like, again, in that mental aspect of the sport, having a sports psychologist is very important in the sport of, of ski jumping, and I can imagine that they help you a lot. Yeah. Um, our our psychologist is named Nicole, and I'm always just, like, she's a godsend. <laughs> <laughs> she deals with so much of our crap, and she's so great. <laughs> wow. Which I'd, I'd love like, to find I've, out sort of how you, like, because obviously you, you go into psychology for, for Reed, but then to kind of specialise in, in sports psychology, it, it's kind of that unique aspect of blending two things that maybe sound like they don't work, but clearly they work so well. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely bigger in some sports than others, but, like, I cannot imagine like not doing mental training. I feel like it's so important, like even for other sports, like think about like if you're running long distance, there's got to be some mental training in that, right? Like just like pacing yourself and pushing yourself. But yeah, I feel like mental training should be something that everyone does. I'd love to learn if there is a sport that doesn't require mental. And I don't, I don't want to single out sport. I can think of a few, but there's got to be mental aspects to it. But I mean, like boxing, like you're punching the shit out of someone, but there's technical sides of it. There's, you know, <laughs> stuff like this. There's, there's, there's definitely a mental aspect to boxing, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm just trying to think what, what would be a sport that you don't need to, you know, mental preparation. I, I can't think of one. <laughs> it would just have to be like a blind fury sport, but yeah. I can't think of what that would be. Even like the hundred meter sprint, which is over and done with in like ten seconds, like you've got to be mentally prepared on the blocks to get off there in a in a right. way to go right, like all that kind of stuff. Like, there's a there's a trivia question that we can go for. What what's the one sport that you're just like, nah, 
none of that mental shit. Just go go out of it. Go go training that way. Uh, we we wrap up with a set of sort of get to know yourself questions, Pedro. I'll get you just shortly. Just a couple of things I want to uh, touch on with you. I I read a get to know you questionnaire you did on the US Nordic website in the lead up to last year's uh, Youth Olympics, and I, I loved when they asked you an animal you most relate to. You say probably a squirrel. Now, is this a flying squirrel because of how similar sort of it is? Or is there another reason why it's... And it's not just a squirrel. You're probably a squirrel. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't really like the, like, what's spirit animal question. So that's why I put probably. Um, but I put a squirrel kind of just because I'm a li- little bit, like, spacey kind of all over the place, but also kind of high energy. And that's what I imagine, like, if a squirrel had a personality, that's kind of what it would be like. <laughs> that works, which I have to ask so, you, you lived in Australia. Now, I, I can imagine mm-hmm. that when you see a kangaroo for the first time, you get excited. But like, I know when I lived in Canada, I see a squirrel and I'm fascinated. I'm like, holy crap, it's a squirrel. Like, oh, my God, look. Or I see a deer. Like, oh, my God, it's a deer. And people just look at me going, Ben, it's a squirrel. It's a, it's a deer. Who who gives a shit? Whereas, like, they're us. Did that's you a see kangaroo. a moose while you were there? Uh, <laughs> I saw a moose. I actually saw a moose in Alaska. That's where I saw my only wild moose. I didn't see one in Canada. Okay. Um, but I have. And like, we How were on was a, that? It was it, cause we were on a city tour and we were somewhere and all of a sudden the, the bus driver is just like, oh, and look, there's a moose. And you're like, fuck, that's big. I like, you know, you know, yeah. you get a kangaroo with your car. <laughs> I'd be dead if I hit one of those mooses in my car, <laughs> I think. Like, Jesus. Yeah. Um, I, I think I've. So I have family that lives in Australia. Um, my aunt used to live in Manly. Now she lives in like a small city outside of Perth. Um, but so I've been visiting her um, every once in a while since I was, I think I went for the first time at like five. So like, I can't remember the first time I saw a kangaroo, but like every time I see like Australian animals, I love them. Um, you have a favorite, my favorite Australian animals? I love oh, echidnas. Echidna wow, Actually, nice. wait, 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 let me go grab my echidna. Oh, she's got props. I like this. This is uh, this is always exciting right now when people can sort of bring this in. I'm excited this to see. This is Edna the Echidna. Oh, nice. Perfect. Yes. Wow. Um, but, yeah, I love echidnas. I think they're super cute. <laughs> did you see, did you see one in the wild? I actually got to touch a koala while I was there, and I thought they were going to be fluffy, and they are not. They're, <laughs> they're not, like carpet. No. Yep, yep. And you didn't call it a koala bear. You've learnt. You can, I can tell you've lived in Australia, so that that's uh, yeah. sort of good. There so, go. I mean, what sort of what some of your best experiences? I mean, sort of living in, in Manly, I mean, beautiful beach right there. I mean, do you get on board the sea eagles? Do you go to some, uh, you know, rugby games and kind of cheer them on? Um, I did go to quite a few footy games. I didn't go to any, like, actual rugby games. Um, I think the coolest thing is on Wednesdays we would go – and do like a sport just like for school. So I signed up for surfing. And so every Wednesday I went surfing for school and that was great. And I actually ended up getting super into it. I probably went like every day for at least (laughs) an hour or two while I was there. It's, it's fun. Like, it's not like high stress or anything. And you just can kind of like sit out there. Yep. (laughs) It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's, I mean, sort of you going back when you were talking about sort of in schools we had skiing programs and things like that like that completely mm-hmm. foreign to Australians we we I mean if you live in Mount Buller or Threadbow maybe but for Australians yeah like if you live near a beach there's probably going to be a surfing program where I can imagine right. you know <laughs> Park City sort of uh, you know nowhere really near an ocean you you don't exactly have that in part of your schooling system yeah <laughs> kind of different which did you did you learn now you and I talked a little bit off air about how much we like to say certain words in Australia but uh, did you learn any Australian vocabulary that you may be used to this day? Um, I don't think I did. After I came back from Australia, I did say rubbish a lot instead of trash. <laughs> um, let's see. I don't think I like I use any, but I know like Bogan and hey, um, you need to know that one. <laughs> yeah. But servo Mackers yep. instead of Mac- McDonald's. Um, yep. Those are the ones that I can think of off the top of my head. I just think it's so fun how you guys shorten everything. I actually, I got into an, an argument with this one person about calling a kangaroo a kangaroo because while I was there, they'd either call it a kanga or a roo. And I'm like, just say the full word. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have to be word. shorter? Which it's it's funny. I, when I, I worked retail many years ago, as we all do, and I remember serving this customer and he was probably the most Australian person I've ever met. 
And I'm sort of like, oh, you know, like, like, what are you up to on the weekend? And he's like, I'm going roo shooting. Uh, and just like, okay, <laughs> good on you. Well done. So I was like, yep, that's, that's pretty Australian to hear that sentence said to you. So yeah. I also think it's funny. Australia is the only country that like hunts and eats their national animal. Yeah. We're the only country <laughs> in the world that our animals on our coat of arms, we eat both the emu and the kangaroo. Did you try kangaroo and emu when you were here? I did. I also tried, uh, it was either crocodile or alligator. Probably would have been crocodile. Yeah, I yeah. would say. Yeah. And were you a fan? Did you all of a sudden go, oh, I like eating these random animals? I didn't, I couldn't really tell the difference between most of them. Yep. So I'm like, sure. I'm a fan. It's yep. Tastes good. <laughs> <laughs> kind of works that way. I was not thing- a fan of Vegemite, though. No. Look, <laughs> as an Australian, I'm not a fan of Vegemite. So, you know, I'll yeah. get, get, get deported for that. One thing, too studying biomedical engineering and I love Mm -hmm. reading in an interview that you kind of base this decision on watching Star Wars. Is it, is this, is this true? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I'm really fascinated with the idea of neuroprosthetics and like the first time I saw that was in Star Wars where like Luke gets a fully functional hand and it looks like a hand. And I thought that was like super cool. Um, So yeah, I think that's kind of where my fascination with prosthetics started. And then I learned um, there's a lot more to biomedical engineering than prosthetics, and I thought it was a really cool um, path to pursue. So how close are we to having full-on Luke Skywalker biomechanical arms like that? Are we, are we are we nearly there? I mean, you should look this up. So the university I attend, the University of Utah, actually had a project called the Luke Arm. Oh, wow. And so, like, I mean, it's not perfect, but we're close. <laughs> wow. Okay. I like this. Yeah. Far out. Jeez, so, uh, that's uh, I will cool. look it up. I definitely will yeah. look that up. Fantastic. There you go. Do you have a favorite Star Wars film? Um, I think the OG one. I think is my favorite, just kind of for nostalgia reasons. <laughs> Absolutely, good answer. I yeah. was, any any chance to talk about Star Wars and any of these shows? It kind of uh, it, it of course that way. <laughs> now, as I said, we we like to close out with series sort of fun, get to know you style questions. These are based on a Team Canada questionnaire that they gave their athletes ahead of Pyeongchang and Rio. I mean, to be honest with you, they're, they're similar to kind of some of these ones that you answer. But I'm not going to ask you about a spirit animal. That that's not one of the questions. Uh, I think okay. they often have good. the drawing <laughs> element, so they often ask you to to draw an animal, but. Uh, not on this one. I'm reading off today a hockey player, Laura Fortino. So uh, no no drawing elements for you today, Paige. Uh, your favourite okay. ever Olympic moment is? Hmm. I mean, I think the funniest one is when that Australian speed skater won because everyone in front of him crashed. Yes. <laughs> Stephen Bradbury, legend. Uh, you know, basically, yeah, you were born in your, in your own state. I, I always love telling the story about when I went to Salt Lake City, I went to a jazz game. Uh, it was at Vivint Smart Homes or whatever it's called. And I mm-hmm. was more excited to be in the building that he won a gold medal in rather than watching the jazz play. So uh, that's... <laughs> That's my level of geekdom that I'm in this history-making building for my country. <laughs> People are going like, what are you excited about? This is go jazz. And I'm like, yeah, sure, go jazz. But Bradbury, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Exciting moments like that. And it actually makes me happy that I think you might be the first uh, non-Australian to answer that. So well done. You are you are winning these questions. I think it's hilarious questions. and I love it. <laughs> he actually, in all seriousness, he has a, an amazing story. If I, if I ever could recommend an autobiography to read of an athlete, he's, he's, he's very, very inspirational And because obviously he's very well known for winning a gold medal by everyone falling over. But uh, he actually had a pretty, <laughs> pretty incredible career and was a very good speed skater and sort of it all literally fell into place uh, come Salt Lake. So it's, it's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> a- as a kid growing up, who was your favourite sports team? I mean, I'm going to be honest, I didn't really watch sports as a kid. I don't even now. <laughs> I don't really? even watch my own sport for the most part, so I don't really <laughs> think I can answer that. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I, I actually like hearing that sometimes because it's kind of like when you do something people automatically assume like oh yeah but like sometimes you're just like look i enjoy doing it but i i wouldn't watch it yeah like i have i have a teammate who watches like basically every single competition knows all the like results and stats and 
Um, it's actually kind of a running joke on my team, but I just kind of show up places and I don't know who's there, what's going on. Like, I know nothing about men's ski jumping. And the only reason I know stuff about like the women's world cup circuit is because I was on it last winter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that works, right? So, like that, yeah. It's yeah. kind of a running joke that I do this sport and I know like basically nothing about it. <laughs> that fits. I like it. I like the honesty. Uh, if you could be any superhero, who would you be? Ooh. That's a good question. No, I've been watching a lot of Marvel recently, so I think I might have to go with Scarlet Witch. Oh, yes. Hey, that's, I like that, actually. That's uh, one of those yeah. sort of ones that people don't, all, you know, it's always Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, sort of those sort of things, which are fine. But uh, no, I like kind of, I'd go Ant-Man just because Ant-Man's awesome and it's Paul Rudd. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I do like his character it? a lot. Yeah, which, again, I remember hearing that. Let's cast Paul Rudd as a superhero. Like, really? That's not going to work. But then it's like, probably, he's my favorite in the MCU. I'm not going to deny it. Oh, I'm he's great. <laughs> love it, love it. Uh, your favorite music artists are? Ooh. Hmm. I listen to The Killers a lot. Oh, good choice. So I might have to go with them, actually. Good good answer. I, I, I like that, actually. And I guess, I mean, Park City, Utah, Nevada, Vegas, within the vicinity. So kind of, you know, you're near sort of where they're from. So Yeah, know. the uh, the lead singer actually lives in Park City. At the oh, really? I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, and the um, album they just released is about living, like growing up in Utah. Great. Wow. Yeah, so... I think it. I think their music is really cool. The things I learned. <laughs> do, do they work with like you know the the Mormon Tabernacle Choir to give a real sort of you know Utah flavor to it? <laughs> um, no, I think it's actually more of a critique on the Mormon culture in Utah. <laughs> so probably not. <laughs> we, we we won't touch that one. That's a different episode. Um, if you could eat only one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Cheese. Oh yes. Best answer. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Get on board. Yes. That um that should be the answer to everything. Cheese just is the best thing. Honestly. Right? <laughs> like, come on. Did you enjoy Australian cheese? I mean, we've got some pretty good cheese here. Yeah. I did not enjoy your meat flavored chips though. <laughs> That's something I could do without. I, 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 like yeah, I okay. go to the store wanting to like buy some like cheese puffs or something, and it's just like chicken flavored biscuits and i'm like what is this <laughs> so so were you were, did you try burger rings at all were you yeah i did that? you know it's not no? a fan <laughs> jeez oh see like i'm not a big chip person but i i don't mind the burger rings but um yeah. <laughs> I, I love how you can judge a lot on a country on their chip flavor right like it's kind of it's That's a true. thing that people don't talk about that like if you're in canada you're going to get your ketchup chips, ketchup right? Chips. You know, yeah. like it's, it's kind of a thing. Like is is there a distinctly American chip that you can think of that only you can get in the States? Let me go with chips. Yep, just chips. <laughs> I mean, chips in general are just kind of American flavored. Yep, yep. Which, I mean, did, well, on that, did you get confused in Australia that we call fries chips? So it was kind of like hot yeah. chips and potato and chips, I was like, right? well, what do you call fry? Like I was like, so... If you call fries chips, then what do you call chips? And they're like chips. And like, how do you know if you want fries or chips? And they're like, call it a hot chip. And I'm like, if you're gonna call it a hot chip, why not just call it a fry? Yep. Yep. Blame. I. I always blame the British, right? Like, you know, because it's, it's their fault. You know. You can blame a lot of things on the British. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, God, they sent us their criminals. You know. So I mean, come on. If you want to blame our stupidity in Australia, well, you should have sent your better Brits out to Australia. Yeah. Maybe we'd be a better country, Britain. Jesus, get on board with it. Um, your favorite place to compete is. Ooh, that is a good question. Hmm. I'm gonna have to go with Oberstdorf. That's where World Championships was, and I really thought it was cool. I mean, even with everything being locked down with COVID, I think like the place itself has really cool atmosphere. The hills are really cool, and. I think I wish I could go back there again to compete and stuff. So great, great, like it. Have you had a chance to look at the the Beijing facility and kind of, or even do any competitions there at all? Um, so they haven't held any competitions on their hills there. I think the their test event is in December, but I did look them up and they look kind of wild. 
Great. I got this like right. big oval ring around the top of them. Nice. Um, which I mean, I feel like um, when they make new Olympic venues, I always try to pull some like architecture feet because it's like, you know, the ski jumps is kind of where you do that. But a circle is never one that I've seen. So, okay. We'll keep an eye out for it. There yeah. you go. What is one thing that you have always wanted to do? Hmm. Skydive. Skydive. Okay. Yeah, I saw on your Instagram you'd um scuba dive with sharks, so that yeah. must have been pretty cool. I'm actually sharks are my favorite animal. I I'm obsessed with them, um, <laughs> so that was really cool being able to do that. Jealous. I'm Australian and I'm not even you know I mean I probably swam at a beach and there's been a shark near me, but uh, you know not, never willingly yeah probably <laughs> gone and gone and done that. Now I mean you might have already answered this before talking about surfing, but there could be a different answer. What's your favorite thing to do in the summer? I'm probably gonna have to go with surfing yep okay. i haven't been able to do that um in a while it feels because last summer we were locked down on covid and this summer my leg was broken but and generally like we get over to california once a summer and i can surf so i was gonna say is it a trip to california do you go further south like mexico kind of like or even you know bugger it, let's go to let's go to hawaii why not <laughs> <laughs> no usually california works it's 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 close enough you can drive there i can't drive to california so you've got a leg up there yeah. on that um <laughs> your uh your favorite movie is Ooh, the princess bride ah nice good movie yes i have I've seen that yeah. a long time actually that's there a good go. one or actually i might have two that are tied about i also really like howl's moving castle yep yep which so it's, it's it's that genre, right? Like, if you like that, those two that might whole, be tied. There's that whole kind of anime sort of, you know, element. Like, if you like that, you're gonna like a sort of a lot of those type of movies, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, um, it's a Studio Ghibli film, and I feel like all their films are kind of the same vibe. So I like most of their stuff. It's kind of like if you like Tim Burton, you're gonna like any film that Tim Burton puts out, right? Like, it's kind of that that sort of same, right? element yeah. of kind of, of films on that way now uh this question on the team canada questionnaire is my favorite place to visit in canada so let's change that up your favorite place to visit in the u.s is hmm. i'm gonna have to go with ventura california okay nice part there you go i, li- I like it i've seen this summer sort of element kind of creep into to things and <laughs> yeah <laughs> too much <It's> nice. snow <laughs> sometimes go warm up my bones you know <laughs> yeah yep. gotta gotta do that uh, around that aspect of it uh your favorite cartoon to watch growing up was hmm. i watched a lot of my little pony ah okay right yeah which has a really weird a, a fan base that isn't necessarily the fan base i think like i know some adults who are older than me who are really into it and 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 like both genders not not judging but it's just it's it's <laughs> weird that my little pony has a very quirky fandom which is is odd i haven't run into any adults who are into that but i oh, think that's kind they, of funny they exist they definitely exist um yeah, look it up. It's 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 a fun community. Uh, if you okay. if you had if you had to do karaoke, what song would you sing? Ooh, I think anything by Taylor Swift. Okay, maybe I gotcha. knew you were trouble. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. It's funny you mentioned the Killers. My my go to is often Mr. Brightside, so that's kind of always a ah, a good karaoke jam. That's a good one. Jam. Everyone yeah. does it. <laughs> yeah, go to that or uh, I believe in a thing called Love by the Darkness because I can just go really high pitch and and pretend that I can. Uh, I can't really go that high. What am I talking about? Final question for you today, Paige. If you could choose an Olympic sport other than your own to compete in, what would it be? Yeah, I think about this a lot. Because, like, I, I joke sometimes. I'm like, I'm done with ski jumping. I'm switching. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, can it be winter or summer? It can be any winter, summer. 
I think I would have to go back to gymnastics. Okay. I like it. That works. Mm-hmm. That, uh, were you artistic, rhythmic, trampoline? Uh, normal gymnastics. Artistic, <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're not throwing a ribbon or jumping like, on a trampoline, I right? I remember which one is which. The bean, the pommel Every horse. Every time the, I, the I watch them, I'm like convinced I can do that stuff. I'm like, yeah, I could totally do that. And then I like literally can't even do a back handspring. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you've got but, time to yeah, switch. Yeah, I think but... I would want to try that. Yeah, Not for gymna- gymnastics. Yeah, I was going to say gymnastics, like it's kind of one of those weird sports, isn't it? That like you, you what, you're about to turn 20. So kind of you're almost a, a veteran if you were kind of 20 in uh, mm-hmm. in gymnastics, which is very unique. Paige, yeah. before, I think before we let you go. I think if I were to switch like right now, I yeah. could definitely pick up curling. Hey, hey yeah. yes. <laughs> You've got the friends, so you know the sport. I'm sure they can hook you up with some equipment. Exactly. I got the connections. I think, yep. I mean, the men's team last year, I think, was all like 30 plus. So we're good. Hey, yeah, exactly. I always like to point out that in Tokyo, Australia had a 62 year old equestrian rider who won two medals. So, you know, I, I'm 34. I've still got hope that I can make an Olympics one day. So, you, never you, too you know, late. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, before we let you go, Paige, if people want to stay up to date with you, sort of follow your, your journey towards Beijing and beyond, uh, social media, where can people and, and 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 your TikTok too, not just you know Instagram and that. I want to I want to learn TikTok. Yes. Uh, um, I think my handles for TikTok and Instagram are the same. I'm gonna actually double check that. Um, but <laughs> like my Instagram handle is Pesh underscore Delesh. So that's P-E, I know. Well, I have kind of a generic name, so I had to kind of branch out. But um, <laughs> P-E-S-H underscore D-E-L-E-S-H. And then my TikTok one is the same, but with a dot instead of an underscore. Okay. All right. Remember that. TikTok uses dot, yes. not underscore. That's that's the yeah. uh, that's the important <laughs> thing, Paige. It it's been a lot of fun uh, learning about you, your career, the sport, everything else. Where we're looking forward to seeing how things play out for you and uh, crossing those fingers and and toes for for Beijing. But if it, if it doesn't happen, Milan, anything moving forward and bugger at Brisbane twenty thirty two as a gymnast. There you go. Uh, you got a, you got eleven years to uh, to get back into to form for that. How does that sound? Sounds great. Massive thanks to Paige for her time. Great chat. As I should often say these, and I forget to add, if you want to watch the video of that interview, you can check it out on our YouTube channel, Search Off The Podium there as well to uh, see Paige talk during all those answers. And I should always mention kind of, I'm sure people obviously know by now, frequently listen to the show that we obviously record these fairly advanced in time compared to when you're listening to this. So uh, again, to put it into context, we actually recorded that on the 100 days to go for Beijing. So uh, that's sort of how far back we recorded that. So in terms of the prospects and everything along those lines, obviously a lot will change in those 100 days. So I uh, just thought we would put that into context in terms of uh, when we recorded it versus when we're airing this, obviously, right now. But uh, fun to learn about uh, everything to do with Paige. And that poetry, that's that's incredible. That's uh, one of my favorite things I've ever heard on this show. And, and the fact that she was so easily able to get into that zone again and, and read it out off memory. So... Uh, fantastic there. And uh, I, I'm now just going to watch her on top of a ski jump hill, thinking that she's just reciting that deep in thought. So fantastic to hear that from Paige. We've got some great interviews coming your way in the lead up to Beijing. As we keep saying, daily episodes from now until the closing ceremony of Beijing. It's a, a lot of fun, a lot of exciting things happening here on Off the Podium. And you'll never miss an episode if you subscribe to us. Go to your podcasting platform of choice, search Off the Podium, hit subscribe, and leave us some feedback while you're there. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. Rate us. I'm going to say five out of five today. Great episode. And while you're online, jump onto social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, search for Off The Podium. Follow us on there. Shoot us a message. Let us know what you're thinking of the show. And uh, give us some thoughts ahead of Beijing. How are you feeling right now getting so close to the games? We'd love to hear your mood. It's an exciting time to be an Olympic fan. So uh, get on board 
the hype train. Big thanks to Paige, as always, and as always, to a special shout-out to Jason Momoa. My name is Ben, this has been Off The Podium, and as always, go left. What an episode. You loved every single second of it. It's Ben again, just quickly reminding you once again, if you want to help us win a Sports Podcast Award, sportspodcastawards.com, register to vote, click on Best Olympic and Paralympic Podcast section, listen to the other nominees, and then go, hey, Off the Podium's awesome. They're so good. They put in so much work and so much effort, and we just love them, and they deserve to go on the podium for once. Ben's awesome. Jared's awesome. Colin's okay, but he's also kind of awesome. We'd really appreciate it. And particularly if you've actually listened to the rest of this and ended up here, because generally I assume you've well and truly tuned out by now. But seriously, if you're at this point of the podcast, then you're a true listener. And that means that you're a true fan and you should vote for us. Sportspodcastawards.com. Do it now. We will thank you forever. Literally ever. Like every episode moving forward, we will thank you forever. Sportspodcastawards.com. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll speak to you next time on Off the Podium. I'm I'm really going to go now. Bye.